Welcome to the third episode of Northern Spin. I'm Michael Taylor, and today we're in Liverpool for the Labour Party conference. As always, I'm joined by my partner in crime, Chris Maguire, to discuss all things politics, but with a uniquely Northern perspective. Where exactly are we then, Chris? Well, as you mentioned, we are in Liverpool. Um, we've brought the rain with us as well. We're in the offices of River Capital, as you can see behind us. They've just rebranded from their previous name of Alliance Fund Managers. We've uh, got a fantastic view of the River Mersey from just over there uh, from our offices in the plaza in Liverpool's commercial district. So thank you very much for hosting us today. Now, we've had some really good feedback to our second podcast, um, but we have had a complaint from somebody that we both know. Barry Nightingale, who's held senior roles at the likes of Weijo and Bet Fred, and EasyJet, and EasyJet, absolutely. Well, it's easy to say which companies he's not worked for. Yeah, um, amazing guy. But he said, "Loving the pod, guys, and you are both behaving impeccably." Are the gloves coming off soon, he asks. Now, I know, because you use this as your mantra, you're a lover, not a fighter, Michael, but are you ready to take the gloves off? No, I'm a fighter now, actually, Chris, <laughs> if, if I disagree with anyone. I'm, in fact, I'm the Ronnie Pickering of Marple. If ever I see any, any kids misbehaving, I have a go at them, and they go, what are you doing? And I tell them, I'm Michael Taylor. <laughs> that was seven years ago, his appearance on I know, Twitter. it was Ronnie Pickering Day last week. Absolutely. And uh, for anybody who doesn't get that reference, apologies. Now, Just Google it. It's all over YouTube. You're, you're, you're covering the Labour conference. Well, uh, not covering it. I'm there as a Labour Party member and yeah. because I work for the Labour group on Stockport Council. So I'm here with our group leader, Elise Wilson. We're attending lots of events. I'm supporting her because she's uh, participating in a roundtable. But, you know, I'm, I'm here to work. I'm not covering it in the in the sense that I have covered conferences before as a as a working journalist like you. Yeah. No, I'm I'm here to um to do some labouring. And I want to fall in love with the Labour Party and its programme of government again. Well, let's put you right on the spot. You know, you you, you turned up yesterday. We're recording this on Monday. You turned up yesterday. You've been speaking to delegates. Um, does Labour feel like a government in waiting to you? Yeah, it does. I think all the questions that you've heard on the media rounds that people like Rachel Reeves, Keir Starmer, Lisa Nandy and Angela Rayner, all, all the discussions that they're having with commentators, with journalists, are all about, well, what are you going to do when you're in government? It's not, can you ever win an election again? Now, they should never be complacent about that. I think that's the, the biggest enemy of... Um, even in the Blair years when they were 20-odd 20 20 points ahead in the polls in the run-up to the 97 election, they, were, they always really guarded against complacency. But no, it does feel like a government in waiting. It feels like a good top team. I'm going to be spending a bit of time this week with Jonathan Reynolds, who's Labour's shadow business secretary. And there was a great piece in The Economist last week that where loads of people in the city, loads of captains of industry have been really sitting down and taking seriously what Labour can do for business. Because to my mind, there are two constituencies that Labour needs to win if ever they're going to form another government. One, as I've said before, is the business community. And the other one is people who used to vote Conservative. This is something that I've always banged on about, about the fact that I don't feel the business community feels in love with the Labour Party. I don't think the no. Labour Party have got business for a long time. Correct. Um, there are a few other clouds on the horizon. I want to you know, ask you with the gloves off for the, uh, for the yeah. benefit of Barry Nightingale. Banquo's ghost. Don't know if you remember Banquo's ghost. In but Macbeth. Absolutely, absolutely. But do you sense that the Jeremy Corbyn effect, is that hanging over the conference in your opinion? Well, I, I'm, not, I'm not being funny with you, Chris, but could I, could I bounce that back to you? Yeah. What do you think about what Jeremy Corbyn said at the weekend? 
Um, well, and if you don't know, that's an acceptable answer. No, no. I, I listened. I listened to some of the stuff that he said. Um, I listened to some of the stuff that he said after Friday's mini budget and fiscal event. You know, in which he. It's interesting because if he'd said what um, Kwasi Kwarteng had said, people would have laughed at him and said, "We can't trust you with the economy." But yeah. now you've got the Conservatives saying the same things in effect, which yeah. which which he said uh, two or three years ago, in which he was uh, heavily criticised. Um, but but I think in terms of I think he's an independent at the moment, you know, so let's make that clear. He's an independent. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and he, he is still in the background. Okay. Um, and he's trying to pit some, or, or, or the leader, Keir Starmer is trying to pit some distance between him and his supporters. Yes. Um, is he successful in doing that? But, 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 but you're mixing with the delegates. Do you feel, do you feel that, um, Jeremy Corbyn is still, you know, is still here in presence? No, I don't. So there's a conference that's running in parallel to the Labour Party conference here in Liverpool. It's called the World Transformed. It was set up by an organisation that was specifically established to support his leadership bid in 2015 called Momentum. Now, it used to be a, a whole sort of fringe event that was fizzing with ideas that had a lot of energy about it. Now it hasn't. Now it feels tired. And it's, it's, it's basically just a rally of the discontented. Uh, Mick Lynch from the RMT union was speaking at it on Sunday. And he got a big cheer because when, it, when he called for Keir Starmer to resign, minutes after he called for Labour Party unity. But it's, it's, a, it's a minor, minor fringe event. And Jeremy Corbyn, by the way, said it was really odd that the Labour Party, who want to govern this country would sing the national anthem and have a minute's silence for the Queen in the main conference hall. And there was the expectation that his rump of supporters would boo that, that they would uh, disrupt it in some way, and they didn't. It was impeccably observed. To, to my mind, the last time I came to a Labour Party conference in Liverpool in 2017, the flag that they were waving then was the Palestinian flag. Now I think, if you look at the hoardings all around the conference hall, people are proud proud to be able to display the flag of the country that they want to lead. And I think that's a really, really strong symbol. So no, I think he's marginalised. And the reason I banged it onto you, I banged the question back onto you, if the gloves are off, was yeah. does it matter? Are people like you who are not concerned with the minutiae of Labour internal rows and faction fights, which still happen, by the way, yeah. um, does it cut through with you? And, and I, I genuinely got the impression, Chris, that it probably doesn't. No, no, it didn't. It didn't. I mean, I saw the stuff that he did. Um, after, I mean, who cares what he thinks? After the... Uh, no, some people still do. But but I do get the impression that Keir Starmer spent the last two years dealing with stuff in his party. But now's the time where Keir Starmer's got to say, actually, this is what I'm going to do if I become the Prime Minister. Um, you, you know, if you were to ask me a question, what does the Labour Party stand for? I couldn't tell you. I, honestly, I couldn't tell you. You know, I could tell you some of their policies, but I couldn't tell you many. I mean, they had a big announcement on Sunday as regards to green energy and they're going to create loads of jobs, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't know what the Labour Party stands for. Now, his speech is on Tuesday. We're doing this on Monday. Um, how would you define what the Labour Party stands for? And does the rank and file, you know, in the population, do they know what the Labour Party stands for? I, I really hate that phrase, by the way. Do you? Rank and file. Rank and file. Yeah. Are you buying yourself time to, when you think of no, that? No, I used to think, I used to think in student politics people used to say it and I just thought it was, it was a dreadful phrase. Okay. Particularly, it, I'm not criticising no. you for using no. it, but, um, but in, certainly in political terms it is. No, the slogan for this conference is a fairer, greener Britain, right? What's wrong with that? We want, we have to tackle climate change. You wouldn't think it even exists as, you know, to move to net zero, to be completely carbon-free in our energy generation, which would be safer, 
wouldn't be dependent on, on gas, on the international gas markets, and certainly not dependent, as many European countries are, on um, on the gas pipeline from Russia. Who, who wants that? So I think that's a really, really clear objective of a Labour government. But it's actually one that, I mean, I could I could spout slogans at you, you yeah. know, for the many, not the few, and, and all those sorts of things. You know, it's literally written on the back of our Labour Party membership cards, what the party stands for, which is actually to, to redistribute wealth. What we've now got is a government who are looking to hoard wealth, to actually move the advantages to, to, of the tax system towards giving tax advantages to the wealthiest, the most um, highly paid in society. Whereas Labour have always been, had a, a priority towards making sure that everybody can share in the proceeds of a stronger economy and to invest in a stronger economy. Now, I, I know I sound like a bit of a Labour Party spokesman on this one, but genuinely, Chris, you, you put me on the spot and asked me the question, what do Labour stand for? And that's it. Keir Starmer is probably sending you a text message right now saying, don't forget, don't keep, forget... Keep up the great work, Mike. Don't, don't forget to say, MT, don't forget to mention this, that and the other. Now, the point is, though, is that what you're talking about there, you know, your rank and file... Pardon, because I know you hate it, so I'm going to use your phrase again. Your rank and file Labour supporters who maybe fell out of love with Labour and voted for the Conservatives in 2019, they would listen to that and they'd be excited by what you've just said. The point is, though, would non-Labour would non -Labor supporters, would they know what Labour stands for? And like I say, just for the purpose of you know being fair, we haven't heard Keir Starmer's speech yet because we're recording this on the Monday. If when people listen to this podcast on the Wednesday, he has been a success... They'll know what he stands for. I don't think... Does business know what he stands for? I think business has been working pretty hard on it. Like I referred earlier, Jonathan Reynolds and Rachel Reeves have been really working the business community hard. The piece in The Economist that I referenced earlier spoke about the... That, but Gordon Brown used to have the prawn cocktail offensive where he used to um, host parties in number 11 Downing Street for people in the city to come in to, to, uh, to meet with him and discuss you know, the economy. This has been called the smoked salmon offensive because they've been doing breakfast meetings. Mm. And business leaders like what Labour are saying. You know, wealth generation and creating good ideas and, and stimulating the economy and employing people and raising people's living standards. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not a dirty word. Business is not there to be penalised. It's there to be partnered with and, and to share in that success. And I think Labour's been working really, really hard at that sort of thing. I know the work that I've been doing in Stockport for for our, when 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 Labour controlled the council there. Stockport's got a real buzz about it. You know, people call it the New Berlin. It's one of the shining examples of a of a town in this in the Greater Manchester conurbation that's been doing really well. But that can't have, none of that could have been achieved without a really strong partnership with business. And um, and Jonathan Reynolds has come to me and Elise and said, I really like what you've done in Stockport by liaising with the Stockport Economic Alliance. And what a totem that is for how maybe every town in Britain should be having its business community and social enterprises around a table to think, how can we work together for the betterment of our town? You've, you've mentioned, or we mentioned Jeremy Corbyn, and the general view would be, I think, that <clears throat> he's a busted flush. You know, he's yesterday's man. Um, Andy Burnham's not yesterday's man. He, um, you know, if you look at the programme for the conference, he's all over it. I mean, he is... Uh... Well, yes and no. So he's actually not on the conference floor at all, and I think it probably quite frustrates him. There is a slot for Metro Mayors to do a report and it's not his turn. Quite rightly, it's Steve Rotherham, the Metro Mayor of uh, the Liverpool City region, who's going to be presenting. Um, I don't think there's a space on the platform of the official Labour conference 
for Sadiq Khan either. But you're quite right, Chris, because I showed you the Labour Party app for the conference, and Andy's got loads of speaking slots. He's got lots of airtime, and he's box office. Mm. You know, if you want a list of the top one communicators in the Labour Party, Andy's in it. He's a fantastic retail politician that people relate to. My dad is a typical floating voter, and his favourite Labour politician is Andy Burnham. Mm. And he's just the sort of person that, you know, working-class people from Lancaster, if they're going to vote Labour again, you know, they'd relate to a leader like that. He thought Tony Blair was a Wally. He didn't like Jeremy Corbyn. Probably didn't like Ed Miliband much either. But Andy's one of those that has that sort of cut through. So I think he's box office in that regard, which is why the media are all over him. And it's also his home city. And we also saw that um, Rosie Cooper last week announced she was going to leave. Very, very good MP for West Lancashire. She's, uh, she's not going to stand at the next election. Uh, well, she's obviously going to, she's going to, she's going to, there's going to be a by-election, isn't there? She's going to quit fairly yeah. soon. Yeah. Now, straight away, That's Ormskirk Kirk and Skelmersdale, isn't it? That, it's, it's that, that area, yeah. It's that area. We're yeah. just a million miles away from Andy Burnham's, where Andy Burnham's uh, home is in Lee. Um, he was immediately linked to the role. I saw an interview that he did on Sky on Sunday, which he distanced himself from it and said that he's committed to being the Greater Manchester Mayor until the end of his term. Um, is Andy Burnham's presence at this conference a good thing for Keir Starmer or not? Well, it depends what Andy says. Like, like I said, Andy is a really good communicator. He's a really good advocate for Labour in government. And it's almost as, it's, it's as important for Keir Starmer and anyone in the Labour front bench to actually look at the ideas. I mean, I've literally written a master's th- academic thesis on this about place before party and what the Metro mayors in their different locales have achieved. And actually, it should be incumbent upon the Labour Party itself to come to places like the Liverpool City region and Greater Manchester and look at the successful policies, bringing public transport back into public ownership, capping fares. You know, that, that is a national policy idea. How Andy Burnham managed to coalesce lots of people in the private sector to tackle the issue of street homelessness and rough sleeping. Jeremy Corbyn never had no curiosity whatsoever for what Andy had achieved in Greater Manchester, and but actually it should be incumbent upon Keir Starmer to um, to, to to seek out the successes that Metro mayors have achieved all over the country because it is it is it is a Labour success in government. One other thing I want to pick your brains about before we move on to the Conservatives. Um, but I drove into Liverpool today and I come past the Port of Liverpool. Right. Um, I was actually. I hosted an event at the launch of Liverpool 2 uh, a couple of years ago now, three, three, three or so years ago. Now, there's uh, the there's big strikes. Um, I think there's a two-week strike over pay. So, you know, if you drive past here, you see the red flags waving. It's like, you know, driving up to Anfield and seeing the red flags waving, except they're Unite flags and not Liverpool Football Club flags as well. Yeah. Now, that is going to be a big <laughs> challenge for the Labour Party and Sir Keir Starmer in particular moving forward because... Obviously, Labour inextricably linked with the trade unions. Yeah. Um, a lot of the trade unions think that Sir Keir Starmer should be doing more to support their strike action. But that's not going to be an image that plays well in Middle England. Is that the biggest challenge facing Sir Keir Starmer moving forward? No, I don't think it's the biggest challenge. And actually, I think it's an even bigger problem, frankly, that people are prepared to lose a day's pay, a week's pay, a fortnight's pay, to actually withdraw their labour. And let's... Let- Let's face it, it's not holding it's not union barons holding it to ransom. It's ordinary working class people who've had enough, who've said we're not prepared to go along with the pay cuts they're effectively having to, to stomach and they're taking industrial action. Nobody, but nobody does that lightly. And whether they work for the NHS, for the Mersey Docks and Harbour Company, for any of the train operating companies, whoever it is, if people are taking industrial action, it's because they're absolutely fizzing with anger 
about how they've been treated by their employers and they want a pay rise. People wouldn't disagree with that, though. But in Middle England, and Sir Keir Starmer's success won't be as to whether or not he gets a standing ovation at the conference and whether or not the people of Liverpool are in favour of him. It will be whether or not people in the shires look at him and, and actually think this is a guy who can run the country. Now, he's been very, very strict in terms of the message he sent to his shadow cabinet in terms of what they can and can't do in relation to picket lines. He has. Um, but moving forward, you know, the Labour Party won't want to be associated too heavily, will they, you know, with, with industrial action. He wants to be seen as being above that, but at the same time being close to his roots. Well, I think Keir Starmer said on the BBC interview that he did at the weekend that the best way for the trade unions to secure a better outcome for their members is under a Labour government and to actually work with him. You know, it's, it's not his job to go out campaigning and standing on picket lines. That kind of politics, it, it's... It doesn't, you're right, Chris, it doesn't play well with Middle England, but there's another reason for it as well. Keir Starmer wants to be the Prime Minister of this country. Who wants to, he wants Rachel Reeves to be the Chancellor of the Exchequer of this country. The very people who will actually be negotiating pay deals with our trade unions and to do that in a, in a proper, equitable, fair way. Now, I don't think that's possible if you're actually taking the side of the workers before the before the negotiations have even started. Ding, ding, Michael. That's the end of round one. We're just going to have a short break before we come back and we're going to talk about the Conservative Party. So, Chris, Kwasi Kwarteng's fiscal event has been described as a budget for the rich. How would you describe it? And I'm particularly interested, Chris. So you're a journalist. You cover the tech sector, particularly in the north. And I, I really want to get a handle on whether, whether this whole idea that the Conservatives are going to unleash the animal spirit of entrepreneurial Britain has been has gone down well with, with, your, with your core people. What we always said, Michael, was that we wanted to provide genuine insight when we did this podcast. We didn't just want to be commentators. A couple, a couple of blokes. Absolutely, a couple yeah, of commentators. Yeah. So, you know, the fact is, everybody knows this Kwasi Kwarteng fiscal event was a massive gamble. And in podcast one, actually, I said it's a bit like going into casino and basically putting all your chips on, 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 on one colour and hoping it comes up with growth of 2.5%. So they've gambled massively. Um, they face a race against the time, um, a race against time, because the next general election is going to be two years maximum. So they know that if they don't do this, they're going to lose the next general election by a mile. There's a phrase that's doing the rounds, which is Liz Truss's mantra, which is, you know, go big or go home. So nobody can complain that they've not gone big. Um, they may go home, only time will tell. And certainly, you know, there's, there's early signs aren't great. But, but this is for the long haul. I think this is for their gambling on 18 months that, that, that things will have turned and that Liz Truss can say, it's all down to my leadership. OK, I think when I speak to businesses... I think they, they maybe give a different side, a different... There are issues here that they're concerned about, the, the, the record borrowing, that's a huge concern as well. Um, but, but in terms of the messages that they're giving in terms of cutting taxes, in terms of, you know, uh, the investment zones, I mean, I think that's probably with a slight nod to levelling up in the north. Um, but they've never, they haven't mentioned the word levelling up. No, they haven't it's mentioned... It's gone. Yeah, yeah, well, I think that's deliberate as well. But they're talking about, like, investment zones and they're talking about they're going to make it easier. I mean, they, 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 they look towards Teesside um, where they've got uh, a Freeport, you know. But, but that's an example where they've got a Conservative mayor. We've spoken about that before. Um, yeah, it's almost a deliberate thing where they're not going to talk about levelling up because... And they don't like the phrase, do they, trickle-down economics. But in essence, that's what this that's is. That's what it is. This yeah. is what it yeah. is. And the, uh, the hope is that by... By 
enabling and, and giving more money to the highest earners, that will trickle down to the the people further down the food chain as well. Um, the so institute. What's, so the, what are your people saying? Well, the institute of directors, I don't know if you saw the, the comments they came out with, they were broadly in favour of, of the sentiment from what Kwasi Kwarteng said on Friday. Um, and, and you're not hearing many business commentators. You're hearing lots of journalists, you're hearing lots of economists, but you're not hearing many business businesses. I had some messages private to me uh, and they said to me, Chris, when you do your podcast with Michael, make sure that you come across the fact that, broadly speaking, a lot of the businesses are in favour of most of what Kwasi Kwarteng said. Um, I think whether or not it unleashes the entrepreneurial beast that you speak about, only time will tell. Um, a lot of people are concerned about the cost of living crisis, but I think where they are in favour of what the Conservatives have done is they have been bold. And, 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 and you know what the Conservatives stand for. Um, I also think... Um, you're not, do. you're not, you're not a high, high earner in terms of you're not going to be one of these people. <laughs> I'm sorry, no, you're not going to be one of these people, Michael. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, who earn over £150,000. No, never no. have. And nor am I, and nor am I. I'm nowhere near that. So we're not going to benefit from the reduction in the highest rate of tax. We're absolutely not. I think where we've got to be careful and where the Labour Party have got to be careful as well and where the Conservative Party have got to be careful that they don't get too heavily associated with it is that actually we mustn't penalise and demonise the wealthiest because they're the biggest taxpayers. Um, and, and, and I think, you know, they're the, they're the wealth creators. Um, and clearly... But the they, don't, they don't need it. At the moment, when Britain needs a pay rise, giving a pay rise to the people who need it the least just seems to be absolutely mad. I was at a meeting of, um, in Stockport with business leaders the other day. I, you know, it was private. I shouldn't breach any confidences about what was discussed. But people have been surveying their staff. They're genuinely concerned about inflationary pressures. And we've seen overnight the effects that all of these measures have had. And there's a, there's a run on the pound. The pound is going to be at parity with the dollar and the euro. That is going to have a devastating effect on anybody that imports raw materials. It's going to have a massive effect on top of Brexit, for everything that's um, all those different inflationary pressures. Honestly, I'm I'm at a loss as to find any any sense for for what uh, what was behind this kamikaze uh, fiscal statement. There's two there's two own goals that I think they scored. Um, two own goals, and, and I'm looking at your sticker on your book, which is uh, paying homage to your you know a love of Blackburn Rovers. Oh, um, the Rovers. On. What's adored. that got to do with anything? Okay, it's a football analogy. So I've used the own goal analogy. Okay, the first one was the the the, the cut to the highest rate of uh, of uh, of tax. You know, for the highest earners. I, I don't really understand that one. I don't because it's only going to benefit a small number of people. And there was some stuff out today which shows that the uh, the people who are going to benefit most from quasi quasi fiscal discussion on Friday is going to be the people in London and the South East, which we know already. Um, but the bigger one, which I think has got massive ramifications for the North, is fracking. Um, oh. Because if you look at where most of the licences have been granted, they're in the Midlands and, and, and especially... Uh, especially the north as well. So obviously Liz Truss has come out and said in response to the energy crisis, you know, um, we're going to lift the ban on fracking um, where there's support for it. I'm not aware of where there is a lot of support for fracking within the uh, yeah. the areas. I think that's a massive own goal for the Conservative Party two years out from a general election. Do you disagree? Uh, no. Sorry, Barry Nightingale of, uh, <laughs> of Wejo, but I'm afraid I'm going to agree with Chris on that one. I, I, do you know, I think we should come back to fracking. I think we should have a little... A little bit of a delve into some of the issues around that in a future episode. I think we need to, to do it proper justice. 
um, because I'm just keeping an eye on the clock on what we've got to talk about for the next six minutes of this podcast. So, yeah, I think we broadly agree on that one, but there's a few different dimensions to it. If I could come back to the issue about enterprise zones or whatever they're calling them or charter cities, which is something that terrifies a lot of people on the left who are concerned about deregulation of these of these areas. What's behind that? Ultimately, it's um, it's things like zero hours contracts. It's about throwing out employment rights and clamping down on people's rights at work. I mean, that's just horrific. That's there was there was a competing vision of Brexit, which Boris Johnson advocated coming into the 29 general election about get Brexit done because there would be this massive dividend for places in the north. And that's what caused the red wall effectively to crumble and conservatives were taking seats in former Labour heartlands. The other competing vision of it was called Singapore on the Thames, that some of the right-wing Britannia Unchained, which was a book that Kwasi Kwarteng and Liz Truss contributed to in uh, a, a while ago. About 12 years, I think, 10 yeah. 12 years ago, yeah. A dreadful book, by the way. Yeah, well, there were five authors in it, but everything that Liz Truss has said is in that book. You know, the whole aspect of yeah. of, of devolution, the whole aspect of, of a small estate, everything she aspired to, and quite Kwarteng, was in that book. But what does a small estate entail? A small estate means cuts to the NHS, flogging it off to the to American healthcare companies and insurance companies, um, privatising our railway system, and we can see what an absolute disaster that's been. And I'd, honestly, I just think it's fantasy economics and hugely detrimental to a thriving civil society that we're going to have in this country. And I think, you know, it's incumbent upon everybody to um, to, to fight that with all their might, the one as I will I, be doing at Labour conference this week. The one thing I would say uh, in terms of the Conservative Party, the one thing that's lacking, and it's something that, you know, the Labour Party get accused of is detail. So, you know, where's the detail? You know, they're going to have to, they're going to have to, you know, put some meat on the bones here because they're borrowing, you know, huge sums of money to pay for all their, their wish list. Um, we talk about these, uh, whatever you want to call them, investment zones. And all I'm seeing is a lot of tub thumping at the moment and saying, aren't they great? We're going to have to see some real detail. Um, but... Anyway, ding, ding. Quick, quick break. Ding, ding. We're going to come back and discuss a little bit about Avanti trains after the break. Okay, welcome to the third section of the third episode of Northern Spin with me, Michael Taylor, and my partner in crime, Chris McGuire. Chris. Hello, hello. It's gone so quick. It has. We've talked about a lot. And I, I did, one thing I took some great comfort from over the weekend listening to interviews on the media rounds was Mick Lynch from the RMT, probably one of the best communicators in political economy at the moment. Mm. Did, did very, very well. Um he said he's confirmed that he's sat down and had initial negotiations with Anne-Marie Trevelyan, mm. who's the Secretary of State for Transport, which is refreshing, given that previously he'd had the door slammed in his face. Yeah, Grant Schnapps wouldn't sit down with him, would he? No, he wouldn't. Grant, no. Appalling. Terrible. I did, know, I, did, I did laugh, by the way, that Grant Schnapps, who went to Manchester Polytechnic to study law, I don't know if he did that under his own name yeah. or under the name Michael Green or yeah. one of his many other pseudonyms, but um, apparently it was leaked that friends of Grant Shapps said Liz Truss really liked him, but because he supported Rishi Sunak, she couldn't have him in his cabinet, even though he was one of the very best. And I'm thinking, file that under didn't happen at the year awards. Because mm. he's, he's a terrible communicator. Yeah, you're right about Mick Lynch, though. And, uh, you know, Mick Lynch, I mean, you use it as an example of people, how to communicate, because he doesn't shout and ball. He doesn't like, talk over people. He's, a, uh, he's excellent, but... A lot of news at the weekend as regards to Avanti. 
Yes. Well, um, it looks like they're going to be restoring some of the train services. And I know we've got lots of people who've contacted us from LinkedIn with their their own personal horror stories. I'm desperate to go down to London in November to go and visit the London Stadium, home of West Ham United, when they play the mighty Blackburn Rovers. And at the moment, I'm struggling to be able to book a ticket to go and do that. I always like to book in advance for these things, and I'm I'm struggling. Oh. And you know, lots of other people have, uh, have have given their accounts as well. Yeah, I mean, I just mentioned some of those names because I did go out on LinkedIn and you know canvas some of the people who who connected with me. So Elizabeth Gooch, uh, MBE, she's paid three hundred pound for a first class ticket. Uh, last time I travelled to London, it was two hundred and twenty five pound. It's unreliable. The trains have been cancelled at the last minute. Dreadful. It is. It is um, dreadful. Ben Hookway, Relative Insight, which is a tech business, he says uh, pre-pandemic it would cost him less to go to his office in New York than to his office in London as well. And and, and David Henry, ex-BBC, my wife travels to London once a week from Wigan. Well, she tries to. It's becoming almost impossible. It is almost impossible. It's a shocking situation. And hopefully it's going to be resolved by the time the next, the next time we meet. But I think what Avanti have done is they've sat down with the government, they've got a plan, they've been retraining drivers, recruiting drivers, Frankly, I think they should be stripped of their franchise. It's been a massive dereliction of duty. Well, their franchise comes up in October. Um, yeah. Sack I mean, them off. Yeah. Take it back into public control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, which, which brings us very neatly on to the Labour conference. Now, there's something else you want to talk about, isn't there? There is. Chris, we need, to, we need actually to put more cultural references into this podcast, in my humble opinion. <laughs> uh, straight off the, after the Queen's funeral, uh, my wife and I sat down and we watched uh, the first two episodes of the, the amazing The Crown on Netflix which was great. So I just wanted to give a quick plug to the fact that the BBC have now made available, again, on streaming services, the best political drama about the North ever. And that's Our Friends in the North, starring Mark Strong, Daniel Craig, Christopher Eccleston and Gina McKee, and of course Alan Armstrong. It is absolutely brilliant. It spans generations in the North East, taking in all that council corruption stuff under T. Dan Smith but obviously it doesn't name people, through new labour, through, you know, to the present day, takes in corruption, sleaze, the Metropolitan Police. It's just brilliant. And it's so well acted by some of the greatest actors of our generation. What you so, Chris, you've got to watch it. What you couldn't see there, um, listeners, dear listeners, was that and when uh, he mentioned the name Mark Strong, he pointed at himself because he does look a little bit like uh, I Michael. I, only because you say I do. I don't, I don't claim that at all. Yeah, no, no, but I will, I will, because you did recommend that to me. You said, Chris, as a adopted Northerner, um, you need to, uh, you need to, you, this will be a lesson in how to understand the North. Um, you mentioned the Crown, and I think it's quite interesting because um, on Sunday I watched uh, the Queen with uh, Helen Mirren as well. Oh. I felt a need that I'd never seen that film, and, and and for those who don't know, it plots that period of time after the death of uh, Princess Diana wow. and how the royal family reacted to it. Who plays Tony Blair in that? It is um, it's Sheen, Sheen, who is fantastic. It he's is great, he's probably my favourite actor, actually. Yeah. Um, and I can't remember the name of the character who plays um, Alistair Campbell as well. But it's, uh, I mean, a fantastic... Peter Capaldi. Uh, is it, a fant- <laughs> it would be. It would be good if it was. Fantastic cast list. But really, really enjoyed that. But really enjoyed this podcast as well, actually. And uh, massive thanks to our host as we come up to the end of um, Northern Spin, oh, episode are we three. At the end already? We are. We are at the end of it already. Um, River Capital for hosting us today. Massive thank you to them. Big thank you to uh, What Media for coming out to Liverpool um, to, uh, to film today's uh, podcast and to record it as well. You've got another message as well because we've got... I looked at Spotify where we are available we've got five star reviews we have so give us more five star reviews and also I ought to say as well thank you the music sting on this programme was put together by Elliot Taylor music producer relative relative of yeah it's my youngest son yeah yeah 
I think he's done a good job. He has done a good job. 